Hey, and we're live. Hello. How you guys doing today? I don't know who's in. We already got some reactions and everything. We're on a brand new platform called Be Live TV. We're very, very excited. Very excited. I'm Donya. As you can see, my little name going across the top, I think. And there's Brian. Hi, everyone. This is the Genealogy Adventure Show. How you doing? I'm not in my car today. <laughs> <laughs> no, you are not. So as Donya said, as Donya said, we are really excited about this new platform. It's made the it's made our broadcast to you guys a lot easier. Once again, thank you for joining us and thank you for sharing your Sunday with us. Yes, thank you very much. Be live TV with Barry Bryan. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just trying That's to watch nice. it myself. <laughs> so today's show is going to be all about endogamy. Uh, it's going to be, and we've called the show, Endogamy, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. And the Ugly. And the Ugly, because it can be all three. Uh, and it's kind of in the course of talking about the subject, you'll you'll kind of you'll kind of get to understand what uh, what we're talking about. So, for those of you who've never heard the term before, basically, endogamy is a very fancy word for saying that our cousins and our communities could not stop marrying their cousins. So, if you think about people who live in really, and I have it in all parts of my tree. I don't care if my ancestors came from old ninety six in South Carolina. If they came from the northeastern part of North Carolina, Virginia, and Quakers in Pennsylvania, my Jewish ancestors, my Native American ancestors, these people did not stop marrying their cousins. We have people even today who don't even realize that they are marrying their cousins. That's kind of how bad it is. Um, we've got a couple of images queued up uh, to kind of show, show it graphically. But when we're talking about endogamy, we're not talking about maybe one-off occurrences of, say, first or second cousins getting married. We're talking about gener centuries, generations of cousins marrying cousins, marrying cousins. And it's going to have a lot of implications for the work that we do. It has a lot of implications in how we use traditional genealogy research tools. And also, it really, really does affect your genetic genealogy and the work that you do with uh, DNA comparison and segments. So, for instance, Donnie and I, we're related in more ways than fourth cousins or fifth cousins should be. Uh, yeah. We know for a fact that we're related seven different ways. We suspect that there's going to be another five or six, maybe as many as seven or eight other ways more. that we're related <laughs> more. Because we, you know, we share common ancestry in South Carolina, North Carolina, and Virginia, mostly. And endogamy is one of the reasons for that. Um, Donnie and I have a running joke, and she's going to probably jump in to say that we, our ancestry, has broken Ancestry.com. Yeah. Uh, when we try to look at, you know, when you go into Ancestry.com and you go into the tree view um, portion of it, we have crazy lines going everywhere. We have people that have, have four lines. There are people who pop up that look as though they're duplicates, but they're not duplicates. It really is, and it's all credit to Ancestry. Ancestry is trying its best to relay a very complex, complicated series of interfamily relationships. Um, so yeah, when we go into family, the tree, you know, the tree view, it really does look screwy. It looks all kinds of messed up because Ancestry really is trying to do the best job that it can to accurately display the relation, how people relate not only to us as individuals, but how they related to each other. Um, and as I said, we, we, have a, we have a running commentary on that one. Mm -hmm. And I don't, don't know if it's possible to bring up that, that first image. Uh, the one yeah. of the Petersons. Either one of the Petersons? Okay. Yep, there we go. So this is the first image, which I'm going to bring up on my tablet so I can see. So these people are... Uh, either our third or fourth great-grandparents for both Donia and I. And if you 
I know the image is kind of small, but at the very top of the image, there are three lines going back and forth. They're going back and forth because cousins were marrying cousins. And that's how it displays. And if you go a little further down, about almost underneath that pink line, there's another four set of lines because we have three sets of second and first cousins who got married uh, and some third cousins who got married. And that's the reason why that looks like that. Donnie, did you want to pull up on that purple one, the one that you, you did from your own Ancestry account? I sure can. Give me a second. And you can talk them through that one. All right, I will. So... This one, um, this one right here is, let me, Brian, what I'm going to do is bring you down, but yep, that's, you that's should fine. be able to hear it. Okay. So this particular one right here, this one is of Enoch Peterson. And if you notice, I don't know what you guys can, can see, but the guy in the middle, the one that's right in the middle is Enoch Peterson Jr. And if you notice right up underneath, his line right up underneath the heads it's a whole bunch of lines that connect back and forth in all different directions so it's because of those lines that um we actually are at a point where it's showing all of the families connecting together and and that's that's what that is. So basically what it's showing is Enoch Peterson on one side of him he's married to a woman named Fanny. On the other side of him he's married to a woman named Jane. Jane we do know is a cousin. Her last name is Stevens. Um but we don't know where she lies as far as her cousin uh relationship. But Fanny, Fanny is his first cousin. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, um, between those two women and him, they ended up with, I believe the count is 16 children. Yep. So that's where you start to, you know, that's just one of the ways that we found. That was the first one that I personally found. Yeah, that was the first one that I personally found of families marrying families. And I was like, distraught and everything and just done. I know, because I, I, I got that phone call. <laughs> you phoned me to tell me that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And it works for me, too, because my grandmother, my maternal grandmother's um, grandparents, no, actually, yeah, no, sorry, her parents were second cousins, because I was working on Gertrude Harling, did her ancestral line, got back to her, her grandparents, then I started working on her, her husband, Effort Matthews, and then I'm like, wait a minute. His grandparents have the same name, same names as his wife. And I'm like, oh, my God, they were cousins. No one in my family knew. We don't even know if they knew that they were cousins. No right. one in my family knew that they were cousins. My aunts and uncles were absolutely shocked, going, wait a minute. You're telling us that grandma and granddad, our grandparents, were second cousins. I'm like, yep. Can you queue up the um, image number three? That's that um, Genie, uh, Google Books image? Yeah. That's the one. Now, this is one of the more extreme examples in my trade. So I'm working on this dude called Sa uh, Samuel Churchill, and he married a woman whose last name was Oldham. Uh, Catherine, Abigail Oldham. Sorry, Abigail Oldham. So I did a lot of work on my Churchills, very complicated family because they didn't stop marrying their cousins either. And this, this goes into my Randolph line, my Spotswood line, my Dandridge line. All of these people were marrying each other. And it makes kind of sense because they were very wealthy. They were part of the Virginia elite. They were the big slave, some of the big slave-owning families in the area. They wanted to keep their money and their power and their land intact, so cousins were marrying cousins. Then I get onto Abigail Oldham's. Immediately, as soon as I got both of her parents, both of her parents were second and first cousins to Samuel Churchill's parents. So I'm just going to let that sit in for a little while. Samuel, 
and Abigail were already cousins three or four different ways, and they got married. Now, this is where it gets really funky. And I actually had to spend, and I actually doubted myself as a genealogist. I sincerely thought I made a mistake. And this is where I want you to think about how endogeny can really affect your paper trail work. So I went back to the basics, reviewed all the records that I had for Samuel and the first three, gen you know, his first, the three generations that preceded him, and everything was correct. I went back to Abigail, did the same thing for her, and all of her records were correct. And then the thing that really blew me, blew my mind, Samuel Churchill's brother married the mother of his wife. So his brother married, so Samuel's brother married his mother-in-law. And those two had children. They had a boy and they had a girl. So this is going to take, probably take a, a hot couple of seconds to, to kind of marinate in your head. So what that meant was that those two kids were Abigail Oldham's half-brother and sister through her mother. They were also her niece and they were also her niece and her nephew because of her husband. Vice versa, those two kids were Samuel Churchill's brother and sister-in-law because they were his wife's half-siblings. But because they were his brother's children, they were also his niece and his nephew. And if Donia brings up image number four, this is how Ancestry tried its best to relay this mess. Okay. So basically, and again, what I was doing is to verify that what I had was true, correct, and, and factual, I dug through lineage book after lineage book after lineage book, and they all said the same thing. So to the extent where I've actually thrown all of those links to all of those lineage books on, my, on each person's ancestry page. Because I didn't believe it. And if I didn't believe it, who else is going to believe it? So I bent over backwards to provide all the proof that I could possibly need to show that this was indeed correct. Um, and again, it's just an absolute hot mess. And there's the, oh, now we've got to, there we go. And there's the image. So in it, you see that Samuel Churchill is, he shows up twice. That's not a duplication. Basically, Ancestry has almost created a fake duplicate, positioned him somewhere else along that, along that line of the tree to try to really explain that the two children that resulted from that marriage were both his brother and sister-in-law and his niece and nephew. And you'll also see that Abigail Oldham, she also pops up twice because those two kids are two different kinds of relations to her, brother and sister-in-law, sorry, niece and nephew, and then half-brother, half-sister. Confusing. You're confused? You should have been me for about a good day trying to pick through this. This is one of the, I'd like to, actually, I want to say this is one of the more extreme examples of me in my tree, but if any of you have Quaker ancestry, Jewish ancestry, Native American ancestry, free people of color, and we're going to get into this later in this broadcast, come from small populations of enslaved people in remote regions who are owned by people who are related to each other, buckle up buttercups, because endogamy is going to be quite the little trip for you. I didn't know if you wanted to add anything more to that? No, that was enough. Because <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I had to post it on Facebook. I'm like, family, you are not going to believe for love nor money what I've just found. I mean, it's it's so amazing to start finding all all of these different things and 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 learning about our families in the way that we do. Basically, like just this past week, um, I had I, I I found the DNA a long time ago about me actually being part of the Georgetown University 272 Slaves Project, Enslaved Project, and um. And doing that, I'm at a point where I don't know how I connect to them. And I think endogamy has a lot to do with it. I think that our families were broken up and then brought back to, made it with each other, breeded, bred, mm -hmm. however you want to say it, with each other, and then somehow got shipped to Maryland. I don't know who these people are. 
um, I know that I connect to at least five different names directly to what's on their uh, list of people that they have enslaved. But then there are other names that cover Edgefield that are in that, that listing. And we have no idea how we connect to them. And, and, and Dodger Me has a lot to do with it. The, it. It's just an amazing, an amazing thing to constantly find not just the paper trail, but then add the DNA along with it. And you start to actually see how everybody is just connected over and over and over again. It's just the, the most amazing thing ever. And if you can bring up the picture of the blue people, while I, while I talk about the next bit. Um, and I'm going to say that I've got a team of just superb genetic genealogists uh, in England, because uh, that's where I started my genealogy journey um, while I was living in England. It made sense for me to have a genetic genealogy team that was based there. Um, we're still in touch, and they still do a lot of um, DNA kind of segmentology and comparison work, uh, especially trying to uncover the identity of my hidden white ancestry. Um, they said that, you know, they had never come across anything to the, indulge me to the extent that they were seeing it in my family tree. Um, one of them is even proposing making it into like a, in, in terms of a research project. Because again, when it comes to segment work, the reason why segmentology can be really, um, really efficient is you should be readily available to identify what segment of your genome you know, whether it's your, you know, your, your, your chromosomes belongs to a specific family group. But because there are so many families <clears throat> marrying, you know, intermarrying amongst each other. So, for instance, it took them almost 18 months to identify my white Holloway ancestor because there was such a high degree of endogamy on the, the white Holloway side of the family. Then there was so much endogamy within the Holloway kind of uh, black family in, Edge, in Edgefield. It just, it was such painstaking work because they actually had to try to find lines that were genetically unconnected to anybody else um, to be able to start really unthreading it. Um, and it did, it took almost 18 months. It took a lot of work just to nail the identity of one, of one person. So we're looking at a picture of, they're called the Blue People of Kentucky. They're a mixture of, their last name is Fugit and Martin, but most of, the, most of them are Fugits who started in Virginia and went to, went to the uh, Appalachians in Kentucky. They are my relations. I am a direct descendant of these people. So I actually carry the gene that turns them blue. Thankfully, it's recessive. The reason why it's such an issue for these people in Kentucky is back in the late 1700s to the early 1800s, we had three series of first cousins getting married. This is a prime example of why you shouldn't do that. So what was a recessive gene? Um, it's almost like hemophilia. People can be carriers of, hemoph of the hemophilia genome um, without it manifesting in their children. But if they marry someone else who has that recessive gene, then obviously the the likelihood of a child, um, inherit, you know, expressing the uh, hemophilia naturally increases, and that's what's happened with these people. A, a fluke of a gene that was really recessive became amplified through an entire series of cousin marriages, and they didn't stop. They did cousins, and this because they lived in such a remote part of Kentucky they didn't stop marrying each other for a long, long, long time. Like we're talking in the 1920s, they're still marrying each other. So it is a really... Go ahead, Brian. I was so just going to say something funny. No, no, go ahead. Jump in. <laughs> no, that's why we're telling y'all stop marrying your family. Let us find this tree and build it together because yeah. otherwise y'all going to turn blue. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, just literally just the other day, we're talking about young, young-ish people who are, you know, getting married now, who Donnie had to tell them, y'all are cousins. You may not yeah. realize it, you didn't know it, but you are. Um, yeah. So again, that's where it kind of pays to do your genealogy. And I know that if I ever get married again, we will be doing a thorough, thorough DNA test because I am not marrying cousins. Even when I lived in England, my first wife, 
ended up being a cousin. You know, that that's just how crazy this whole this whole thing kinda is. Um sorry, my tablet's just gone to sleep. Just gonna take a look at what the next image is. So the next image is the oh. uh, is the the blocks. Yes. Yep, that's fine. So this, you know, kind of hitting you a little bit fast, and we'll slow it down to, to kind of focus on different areas. And by all means, if you have any questions, please, please do ask. So this is Edgefield. This is old 96 Cal, uh, South Carolina, which has now become numerous parts of different counties that exist today. So primarily, um, this is showing how, and an, you know, basically endogamy can work on a county level. I wrote a, I wrote a, a post, which I'll post in a minute when Donnie's talking, um, about how an entire county can be related. So basically, in this image, you know, we have a man and we have a woman getting married and they have children. You've got the man's mother's side of the family, his paternal side of the family, you have his wife's maternal and paternal side of the family. And in and amongst those four blue boxes, you're going to start seeing the same surnames. Williams, Shepard, Caldwell, Nicholson, Richardson, Mitcher, Harrison. It just goes on and on and on. So they were, all, you know, basically going back two generations, all of these people were already related to each other. And they're having, you know, and then they're obviously having children who are getting married, marrying their cousins, so that that kind of stew of DNA is just getting condensed, 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 condensed until the point where, you know, that one red blot that just says children basically just has that, that mix of everybody. And what I was writing about in this article was, this is just concentrating on the European side of it, the, the white side of the family. All it took is for one, ensla one enslaver, and we know there were many, but for argument's sake, it only took one enslaver to introduce this mix of DNA from about a dozen different families into the African-American gene pool, which then got, gets echoed. Um, and as Donya brings up that, that last, one of the last images. Now bear that in mind, I've just, you know, I've just kind of set this up for you. So all of a sudden now, you, you know, a very condensed endogenous mix of European DNA from a county is now being introduced into the enslaved population um, through their mulatto children. What I'd like you to think about is when a male sla enslaver married a woman who came from an enslaving family, nine times out of 10, the wife brought dowry slaves. You know, that, that was part of her marriage settlement. Now, in the case of our Williams family, we have Williams cousins getting married. We have Daniel William II marrying his cousin, Ursula. Or what, was her, what was her Ursula's last name? Was it Henderson? Ursula was Henderson. a Henderson. She was a Henderson. Right. So he married his Henderson cousin. So she was, pro she was bringing enslaved people into, the, into the, the farm or plantation, some of whom were already cousins. They were already related to enslaved people that Daniel Williams owned. Yep. Some of them weren't. Some of them were. Now, the cousins ended up getting married and having children. So again, they're, they're passing back and forth that really kind of condensed mix of DNA, which then spread because they were ha everyone was having silly numbers of kids. I mean, we're talking, I don't care if you were white. I don't care if you were black. They were having 12, 13, 14, 15 45. Four, and 45 kids <laughs> who were just spread out across an entire county. So again, carrying that really endogenous mix throughout. And if you can bring up that absolute last image, that uh, Edgefield Slave Deed book image, this is what you get. So basically, again, this is a staying within the, within the kind of Williams family story and building on that, the preceding image, this shows it. All of the people that we've been able to identify, that you won't be able to read this, but there's a lot of, there are a lot of words on the left-hand side that are written in red are, are people's surnames, which show that our Holloways, our Starks, our Petersons, who else is in this list? Shepherds. Um, you have Shepherds. Shepherds, you have Cotwells. Hollow, uh, Harlings, Petersons, Petersons, 
mm-hmm. they were al- they were already related before they were even emancipated. They're interrelate the from the Mulatto side of the family. Those interrelations were going back two or three generations, if not further back in time. So by the time you know they by the time they were freed and they had the freedom to kind of go where they wanted, more or less, unless they were kind of locked into that whole sharecropping thing. Um, they were, you know, that they were spreading that mix kind of further afield. But ironically enough, uh, because the white enslavers owned land and property all throughout the old nine to six region, you may have thought, "Yep, I'm leaving Edgefield. I'm going to go to McCormick because I just want to get away from all these people that I've grown up with all my life. I want a fresh start in a new place. My name is Borum." Oh, you know, I'm going to this nice church, and I'm meeting this really, lo- you know, lovely woman whose last name is Gilchrist. Well, let's get married. Let's have kids. They didn't realize it. They were marrying their cousin. Yeah. No matter where we look in our tree, cousins are marrying cousins. Yeah. So it causes some conflicts, especially within the family, because they like using the same names for their children. And most of the time, it's unless. Um, well, that's that's one part of it. They're you know using the same names for their kill- children. So you know we're trying to find a specific Willie Mae Gilchrist born about 1867. Well, there's like 25 of them. Some of them are in Edgefield. Some. Yeah. That's not an exaggeration. We're talking 20 to 25, 10 to 15. I mean, the numbers of people that carry the same name is un. Believable. It's like it's the worst thing ever to have to deal with that. To try to look for that, and um, even the people that he was talking about in the 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 actual page, the last picture that I put posted up, those were the Enochs and the Ann Petersons that we were talking about. Mind you, uh, there were at least three Enoch Petersons. There were three, and one was it was the father. The the it was the grandfather, the father, and then one of the sons, and they're all just kind of mixed all together. You got to figure out whose birth date is whose, and which one is is this, and who married this, and you just coming with all these Enochs spelled in different directions, but all meaning the same word or the same letter, you know, the same name. So yeah, okay, go ahead, Brian. I just (laughs) or a lot of times what we'll find is there will be a white family in a town with the same exact names more or less as a mulatto family or a black family in the same town, which means you have to really pay attention to the record that you're looking at. Because like I said, you could have a household with a man with the same name. Wife's name may be different or slightly different so you know you're saying oh my god did he marry you know is this a new wife did he marry again because all the kids are the same have the same name whether like i said literally we can look at a census return at the top of the page there's the white family or the black family with everyone in it all their ages all their names we will we will usually about seven times out of ten we will find a mirror family of an op of a different race who have exactly the same names, born more or less at the same time. And to say that that can cause all kinds of... So that's kind of telling us already, okay, these people are probably more than likely related. Um, Because we know that our family were biologically entitled to the the last names that they used. Um, So it does add a, a wrinkle of kind of complexity. Now, when I talk... One positive aspect about endogamy, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to admit is because my tree is so huge and I've really built it out along all the different family lines. When I come across a surname that I that I recognize, if I see Gilchrist and I I just know that they're gonna fit into the picture some way, shape, or form. And usually within about two to three generations I found their spot in the tree. Or as Donnie and I, uh, Donnie will probably probably explain, nine times out of ten, they're already in our tree. Yeah. Yeah, we, 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 that's why it takes me so long. So for those that's following from our Calling All Branches page, that's why it takes a while for me to update the tree because I have to make sure that I don't have duplicates in it because there can be times where I'm doing certain things in the tree and I add this whole nother family and come to find out 
somebody in the family, one of the people out of that new group of family members that I just added was already in the tree. This is why we believe that all of Edgefield is related. This is why we believe that um, we need to be more mindful and more careful with how we're doing this, how we're doing things. So this is why we constantly bring our families together. We're constantly sharing information over Facebook, over Twitter, over Instagram. This is why, you know, we've created the Calling All Branches page. And that page is for family members only who connect to Edgefield, South Carolina. Now, if you have family that's from Edgefield, dating back between as far back as 1769 up to about 1940, then we believe you're related to us anyway. So you may supposed to be in the daggone group. <laughs> so nevertheless, you know, I mean, we just found another family and um, they're in and immediately they brought together, they were brought together. They're actually watching now, Stephanie and Taniqua, that's family. Those are Borum. And they didn't know, the Taniqua and them didn't know their family. They didn't know. They just thought it was just them, their little circle, and that was it. And now they've come to find out just by joining the group, talking with Stephanie, they now have over 15, at least over 1,500 confirmed family members. So, I mean, it's a shock. It's, it's, it's a big deal to do that. And that's what we're doing. That's what we're trying to do as far as the DNA. That's what we're doing with just all of those different things. So we want you guys to, you know, definitely pay attention when we start to talk about um, talking about families and names that we're putting together. And ignore me when I go off because <laughs> I'm just mad. So don't even worry about it. I got to put it together. So I I'm just mad. Don't even worry about it. But it's, it's a big deal. I just want to just quickly jump in and say that when I when we say that the chances are that we already have duplicates in the tree, almost all of the du almost all of them are women, especially yeah. women in our family who, especially if they were enslaved, who were born between say the very late 1700s, all the way down to like the mid 18th say 1850ish time period, um, because a lot of them were dying before South Carolina specifically had death records, which may or may not have had mentioned you know said what their maiden names were so we you know we do we have a lot of women in the tree who just who are one name ancestors the the most popular of course and donnie's gonna grimace would be janie i don't know how many women called janie married into all the different parts of our edgefield family but we know that i'm gonna probably say 40 percent of them are duplicates but we won't know that until we can actually figure out how they would have identified what, what family group they actually belong to. And then so there's another name. Oh, there's another one. Oh, hit me with I it. I posted it in, in the calling all branches. You ready for this? Hit me with there it. There is a Carrie Brunson in every last one of our families. Oh my God, that's right. <laughs> every last one of them. There is a Carrie Brunson. So if you come across Brunson, if you're one of those 200 names and you come across Brunson, um, you need to be a part of it. So we have a question, Barbara Elam, which is a group that we're looking into right now. She yep. says, Diane, how can I find the Calling All Branches? Just type it in. It is an open group, um, an open search group. You can definitely search for it, but when you search for it, you're going to have to ask, answer the questions that's in it. But I know who you are, but I still have to ask you, you know, just answer the questions that's in it so that you can. So and then we'll add you in. But, yeah, that's your group. I'm actually sorry, Barbara. I thought I added you to it. But definitely all you do is just type in the search bar, call in all branches. And that's your family. And we're there. And yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to say that the good thing about me again, is nine times out of ten. I only have to go back a generation or two to figure out how someone fits to find their, their correct place in the family tree because their older generation of that family I know is going to be in there in some way, shape, or form. So it's not like I have to spend weeks and weeks going back generation after generation after generation. Give me a Peterson. Give me a Settles. Give me any, you know, any of those families, someone born about 1928, whose name is all of a sudden popping up on a marriage record, I'm like, right, 
okay, here we go. One or two generations, I know basically I should be able to find your rightful spot. The bad side would be health issues, um, which I don't think that a lot of us who are doing genetic genealogy are kind of pay attention to. Um, but we need to start. But we need to start. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to, I've already hit you with one. You know, I'm a carrier for this flight. There's a very kind of, it's got about 50 different vowels in it for that condition that turns people blue. You know, you're born blue. Um, that's for me. Donnie, you want to tell them about a couple of the ones kicking around in Edgefield? Um, we have something called, oh goodness, it just slipped my mind. Uh, well, there's the, the vitamin D deficiency. Right, the pellagra. Pellagra is vitamin D deficiency. And um, that particular thing, I have it. My sister has it. Actually, most African Americans have vitamin D deficiency. This has been told to me time and time and time again. Back in the day, though, when they weren't receiving the foods that they were supposed to receive, even though vitamin D comes from the sun, if you don't have the right kind of foods in your system, you're going to die. And they actually used to die from this. They, um, they, used, to, they used to die from pellagra. Because one, one, one of our family members actually made the, the newspapers. And when was that? That was 1920, 1921? 1909. No, 1909. 1909. Okay, as because early as that's that. that's how we found out he died, Enoch Peterson. That's right. Enoch Peterson. That's how we found out he died. He died from pellagra, which we yeah, had to actually pick that up. From pellagra. And it was yeah. really interesting, you know, that was a really interesting article to read because in the 1909, they didn't know how, why pellagra happened. They didn't know if it was contagious. I forget the rationale that they had in the, in the, in the newspaper, but, you know, they didn't know, they didn't associate it with anything that people were eating or not eating. Um, like I said, for whatever reason, what theory did they have? I can't remember what theory they had about how, what caused pellagra. Oh, corn. Wasn't it something to do with corn? They said it was corn. At some point, they said it was actually corn that caused it. And um, I don't know what made them realize that it wasn't corn. I have yet to find that. But the fact that they thought a vegetable caused something like this was just crazy. Hey, Trina, how you doing? <laughs> but uh, it's, it, it's really crazy how all of that you know, just happened. And then now my son, I have an autistic son and I know there's this big deal about autism and where it comes from and so on and so forth. But there was this one cousin and I'm, I'm not going to say her name because I don't know if she wants people to know certain things, but she told me about, my son had something called when he was like two years old, we thought he had to get brain surgery. And, um, and we thought that because of something called a Chiari malformation. Now, what is a Chiari malformation? The Chiari malformation is when the back of your skull meets the top of your spine. It's, it's meeting in that area, it's that area. But the back of your skull is a little bit too long and it's stopping the flow as far as your brain juices, blood flow, you know, things like that. And it's stopping that and we thought that they were going to have to go and um and and shut that down so but we'll shave it down in order for that to be you know taken care of thank god we didn't have to do that but let's fast forward to i'm i'm going to say about 5 years ago so my son is 18 now so that was when he that that happened 16 years ago. And then we're going to go up to about five years ago when he was like about 12, I guess. And um, I met this particular cousin and she explained to me that she had the Chiari malformation. So now, doesn't that kind of put something in you about the fact that maybe it's not the the the. Um, vaccinations that's causing the autism that just gives me a thought because she has the same thing and not only that she has other ailments that 
her doctor said that it only comes from the fact that everybody somewhere down the line, people were marrying constantly. People were marrying constantly. And it's just, it's crazy how that happens. Now I have two comments. One of them is from Latrina Carter, and she said, me too. So I'm not sure. Latrina, do you have the, the Kiari malformation as well? And then we have another comment from my new friend, Deborah Cross. Um, she says, my slavery owner ancestors had enslaved people, but my family names are not among the ones you mentioned. However, they settled in Edgefield for generations. Can't believe no intermarriage in my family. How can one find hidden family relations? Good question, Deborah. I would say that I don't know if you've taken a DNA test, but one thing would be to you know start looking at the people that you that you're mat you're matched to. Um, I also don't have a sense of exactly when your family kind of rocked up to Edgefield, um, but I would say that if they were there, you know. To, if they were there before 1870 or around the 1870 mark, um, especially um, in emancipation, there's there's a good connect. There's a good possibility that you know you're marrying into both Donya and my kind of wider wider family. Because um, mm. I can't think of all of them, but you know, uh, what, we're at about 250 surnames now, aren't we? Um, yeah, it's really high. The uh, the first even on the book, the book had about 203. Surnames, and that's what Deborah's talking about because she has the book and she didn't see the surnames there. But we're adding every day. So, for example, Elam is not on there. I don't think Ware is up there. Um, mm. Where's my book? Uh, I don't. Uh, it's it's a lot of names. Like I, I'm not sure. But so, but then in the same instance, some of the people that we have talked about, those are still some of the people that actually might connect to the Georgetown. Slave right. Henderson, for example. Now I know I'm Henderson. I have it all through my blood because of them Williams line. But I don't know where it is. Anderson is another name that they have. Yeah. Have that. Yeah. So it, it just kind of all depends on when it was going on. But to also say, in you know, as far as that's concerned, Deborah, it's a possibility that they didn't sleep with their enslaved people. I mean, we have to be open on all of that. Yeah, because not everybody, not everybody did. Right. Um, you know, and another thing to also bear in mind is our whole Edgefield research group, which is about six of us, despite the fact that we all have thousands of Edgefield, both direct ancestors and kin in our trees, we really only have scratched the surface. You know, we're making inroads into like the really early 1700s, uh, we still haven't found all of the descendants of all of the people that were born after, save 1800. We're still right. actively researching those. Right. So I said, there's a lot of women in our tree who don't have a maiden name, so we don't know who their people are. Right. So even though we've done a lot of work and we've made a lot of progress and we've punched through a lot of holes, there's a whole heck of a lot more. Re we're talking years. Yeah. We'll, we'll be doing this for ye years. Absolutely. Right. And, and Deborah, like I said to you before, because you do have connections in Edgefield, I really want you to send your your DNA to our, your raw data. And so it can be a part of this our DNA project through Howard University. Um, I think that that will be definitely one of the ways that we can find out to answer your question, that we could find out what um, what what it is that we have in common and if we do have anything in common now i have two um questions one is from latrina she said so adrian which is her son is 26 and is high functioning axis one autism autistic could this be something hereditary in our family you know what i'm gonna say possibly i i can't go by the um the fact that they're saying that vaccinations cause autism. I don't know what it is they're looking at when they go through that, but I can say that this is something that our DNA project is going to be taking a look at. Um, this is one of the things that they're going to be doing, and that's what that is. Yeah. And then we have another cousin. Well, I was also going to say that he, he's not the only one in our family with, um, aut with the, who falls on the autistic spectrum which is why we were hypothesizing that it might be a, ge uh, a genetic thing. 
Um, another, another genetic thing that we, other things that um, Edgefield relations suffer from, migraines, horrific headaches. God, um, yes, that's me. Really bad knees. I mean, I kind of laugh about that one because that's like the most minor out of any of them. But yeah, we all have bad knees. And there was something else that I couldn't remember. But there's, a, there's another question. Um, well, no, not that question. is just people making comments. So Latrina said, because there are a lot of members of our family that may be Asperger's or autistic in Houston. So that's, that's this is Weaver Yeldale Lee line that I'm Okay. Um, and, and that could be possible. And then Tony says he's still trying to find his Edgefield connection. So Tony's a little different. Tony actually connects to us through the Virginia white line. That's what I'm seeing with him. Okay. And your connection, Tony, just to answer you, because you never asked me that question. Your connection to Edgefield is through the white ancestors. That's your connection, because those were the ones that left Virginia and settled in the Edgefield area that did the settling when it was called the 96. So I, I'm pretty sure that your your relationship is going to end up being a distant relationship, but it's a relationship nonetheless because you're my cousin, and that's what, <laughs> that's what it is. And then finally, Deborah came. She said she just looked only Mims and Richardsons in your book. Well, well, dang. <laughs> there they go. <laughs> That's a big connection, Deborah. Yeah, because Richardsons are going to take you from South Carolina into North Carolina and right back right. into Virginia. That's right. They connect. Don't they connect to the Williams and Petersons? They do. Yeah. That's a huge connection. That's a, um. Yeah. Okay. I just got tired just by that. Because <laughs> that's a, that's a big connection. Okay, then we have another where she says, there is a genetic connection with autism, have mal-autism in my family. There's another one. So, you know, we just have a lot. It's, it, I, don't, I just can't say with the autism and, and how they say that it's, you know, it, it's caused by those things, those vaccinations and so on and so forth. There's and just, then, a lot more, just, just a lot more research that needs to be done. Yes, yes, most definitely. And look, Brian, here's another um, comment from Barbara. Mims are in my line. Guess what? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it, it never yeah. fails. It never, ever, ever, ever fails. But going to connect. And I know that we kind of bang on about Edgefields a lot. Okay, like I said, I've got indulged me in every single part of my family tree. There's no getting away from it. I've kind of sucked it up. And kind of deal with it, even though once in a while I might moan to Don and get going, you won't believe what I just found. I'm on every uh, day. Almost every day. I'm on um, every day. <laughs> <laughs> so I say that to kind of emphasize why Edgefield is a little bit different and a little bit special. I was trying to do um, just a very basic DNA comparison with a small group of Edgefieldians. Um, on one of our Facebook pages. And everyone was really kind enough to give me their, their Jetmatch kit numbers. Uh, Jetmatch.com, uh, G-E-D-M-A-T-C-H.com. It's a really neat way that uh, if you've tested with one of the big kind of DNA testing companies, you can download your raw data, you upload it to Jetmatch, and you can do comparison work. So I was doing comparison work on about 21 different people. We all come from Edgefield. We all have deep roots in Edgefield. One woman in particular, we matched on 21 chromosomes. <clears throat> Everything from a 2.2, which is, um, they're called SNPs, SNPs, and um, CMSs. Basically, they're, they're, it's, uh, every chromosome has segments, and that's the way that you kind of measure the segment lengths. So the longer those segment lengths are, the more recent your common ancestor lived. The smaller they are, the more further back in time that they go. There's a real argument going on at the moment about how valid small SNPs, which we pronounce SNPs, are. You know, people are like, oh, well, if they're under, you know, if they're under 16, uh, if it's under 16, then they're not valid. It's going to be, it's a, it's a false, it's a false positive. 
what people don't understand is if your common ancestors lived 1600, you know, in the 1600s, you're only going to get a small snip. You're lucky if, that, if your common ancestors were born in the early 1600s, you're going to be lucky if you get a 2.1. And it's just the way that DNA recombines. You know, that older, that older uh, genetic material is always getting shortened, chopped, moved about to make room for the... Otherwise, you know, we wouldn't get any new, uh, new DNA. We wouldn't get any new genetics to work with. Um, so she and I shared everything from a 2.1 which that requires some work to make sure that that isn't a false positive. Um, and if it is correct, and that means that we probably share white ancestors who were kicking around early in the colonial period around the 1600s, all the way up to six, like a 16, which is a really good kind of, kind of healthy chunk. But that blew me away that I actually matched someone on 21 chromosomes. That, that just blew my mind. And that's Edgefield. And that's Edgefield. In a that's, nutshell. That's Edgefield. And those are some of the reasons why we feel the way we do about it and, and why we did what we did. So we're coming up on the nine minutes as okay. far as everything is concerned. Um, I just have one little appeal that I'd like to make. Um, <clears throat> because I've been having issues on Facebook, um, in a particular Facebook genealogy forum that's about South Carolina specifically. <laughs> um, because all of a sudden on Ancestry DNA, a lot of people who come from a majority of uh, European background have all of a sudden made their trees private um, when they see my little brown face pop up. Please don't do that. Mm. If just, you know, I can understand that it's disconcerting if you see a brown or black face or lots of them pop up in your DNA matches when you log into Ancestry DNA as soon as you get your kit results back. I'm going to argue and say, even if you suspect that your ancestors were enslavers, you should expect that you're going to have black and brown people as cousins. Yeah, I, I find you, it to be, I find it, I find that. I don't care if it's disconcerting to them. Because what about me? What if it's disconcerting to me? Well, that's Which the point. Not. Yeah, true. But it, it will be for some people. But mm. what I want to say is, I'm not overstating this fact. You hold the key to a lot of the questions, or your yeah. family will hold the key, especially the genetic key. You may not have papers. You may not have two times great-grandpappy's will, deeds, and all that stuff but you have his DNA. Yeah. We need to figure out how we're related to your great-great-grandpappy through comparing our DNA to your DNA. Yeah. So I can imagine it's a surprise and it's a shock and it's disconcerting and upsetting and all the rest of it. You're, I'm not telling you not to feel a certain way. All I'm asking is don't freak out to the extent where you lock your tree because you just can't handle the fact that you're related to black and brown people. Our genealogy is hard enough, it's tough enough, and it's challenging enough without people purposely denying us access to information that can make our work a lot easier. And that, that's really all I want to say on that one. Um, especially when you're coming from places like Edgefield and Southwest Virginia and other places of, you know, in Virginia, which are highly interconnected, highly interrelated, like I said, cousins marrying cousins, not just for a couple of generations, for centuries. Each and every DNA result that we match to is a key to unlocking our genetic ancestry. And who knows? I mean, I guess the great irony of it is, is my European side of my tree is just as large as my African-American side of the tree. I've been able to solve, me and my team have been able to solve genetic genealogy mysteries for our white ancestors that their white descendants haven't been able to find. That's right. So, you know, it's a two-way thing. If you're uncertain or confused about who, you know, you have a brick wall, because our genealogy, black genealogy is really tough and we have to be really inventive and we have to think out of the box in terms of punching through our own brick walls. And during the slavery period, not discounting my free black ancestors, but during the slavery period, each one of our ancestors is like an adoptee. We have to treat them like an adoptee. 
We have to research them like they're adoptee, and that's why DNA is so important. So that's my little rant over. Please don't lock your family tree just because you can't deal with the fact that you're related to a person of a different race. I would even say that to African-American researchers. That's right. I will admit that I was I was kind of, I knew, I mean, look at me. I mean, I knew I had European ancestry, but even I was shocked when I first logged in. As soon as I got the email from Ancestry DNA, I was so excited. I was right in there. Oh, my God. And I think that first screen, because you get the six, you get the six little thumbnails, eight of them were white, two of them were black. I was like, what? Okay, here we go. Um, so it cuts both ways. Um, you know, there, there's always going to be that shock factor. So, Ryan, mm -hmm. there were um, Harold, Barbara Elam, as you were speaking, I wanted to, you know, just put in on these comments. Yeah. Barbara Elam came back and she was agreeing with you by saying exactly as was Harold, our buddy. Harold, <laughs> Hi, Harold. <laughs> Harold was putting in his two, his two cents, saying, well said, cool. Please share. And then Deborah came in and she said something. She said, very, very important point. Need to help people discovering this often concern. Um, this is how they can help. My deceased family would be horrified at the thought of what I'm doing. So, you know, this is somebody she she knows that her family would not like it, but she's doing it, you know. And mm -hmm. I think I find that I I applaud those that do it, but I only applaud it to a certain degree because I'm. this is my rant. Don't think that just because you have black people in your family that I might not be feeling the same kind of way that you feel about having white people in my family. I actually don't mind it. I don't care. But there are some African-Americans who, who don't want to know. And then Take in my family for in our family, for example, Brian and I both are related to one of the most racist people in American history, Preston Brooks. The man is possibly or probably my third great grandfather. But he went down in history as someone who was the start of the of the Civil War. This is who he is because he hated the fact that you wanted to get rid of slavery. Like, those are the people that's worked for me. That's my money we are talking about. And he was dead serious. And um, as I've read and researched about him, guess whose traits I carry? I see him in me when I look in the mirror. There have been times when I've read some of his speeches and things that he has said, I had to clutch my pearls because I said the exact same thing. And it was not, you know, it, it wasn't, I was blown. I was blown away. So you have to be able to accept the fact that this is what you're getting into. If this is not what you want, then you don't need to be researching. That's my whole thing. If you don't need to be researching, definitely don't take DNA because you're going to find out. And it's no reason to even go into that. So I don't I don't know why you're doing it. And And that's my thing. Why are you doing it? If you don't want black people or white people to be a part of your family, then why are you doing this research? Why are you going the the in-depth with DNA and so on and so forth when you know it's going to come back? If you believe all of the stories that everything started in Africa, what makes you think that you're not going to have some kind of African um, ancestry? Some kind of African DNA. It's gonna happen. And actually, so, I want to clarify. I want to clarify one thing because I made I I said something in a very lazy way, and I shouldn't have said it that way. The Southern colonies were not the only colonies to enslave people. Black people were enslaved in all thirteen colonies, each right. every one of them. So no matter where your ancestry was in colonial America, if you even suspect that your relations enslaved people it's a, and i'm not saying that every enslaver slept with black women no one's saying that but if you find out that that you know uh, your ancestor wasn't a slave or you suspected it, it's a 50 50 shot whether you are going to be related to, to people of color and black people and really honestly it, 
It's 2018. This shouldn't come as a shock. It should. It really should. It should. And if it anything, it should. And if anything, I would hope that it's an open, open invitation for people who do discover that they have people of color and black people as, as relatives. That's right. Will kind of reassess their, their whole kind of perception and feeling about people of color and black people. Because I've met many wonderful, um, some of my, my white relations, I love them as much as if I'd grown up with them. Because, you know, we, we really have gone to know, to know each other really well. And, we, you know, they've been so... Um, They've shared so much information that it, that's been invaluable to me. Um, but on the other side, I have come across those who have been in, you know, anything but. And as I said, genealogy is tough enough. African-American genealogy in particular in, in this kind of a vein, incredibly tricky enough. If we're all just kind of getting over our stuff and our issues and our nonsense and just kind of pulling together, um, we can actually help each other out. Yep. Yep, that Absolutely. is. Absolutely. Um, so it's 5.01. Okay, so that's our hour. That's our hour. Does um, anyone have any other kind of last questions they want us to ask? Right. Um, any questions? Um, I do have Deborah Cross. She says, um, that makes sense. As there is generational and historical trauma, we carry influences from the past. Oh, my God. So that's something that I wrote about in the book. <laughs> and that's another story. <laughs> But you are absolutely right about that. Um, and then she also said that even her New England ancestors had, had owned enslaved people at one point. So meaning over in the Americas, because you were saying in all, yeah. you know, all well, um, colonies did it. What's the actress, Liv Ty Stephen Tyler from Aerosmith? Right. That's, his, he's an African-American man. Yeah. His black ans enslaved ancestor was in New York. Yep. Of all places, colonial yep. pre pre Revolutionary War, colonial New York. He sure was. He sure was, and he was a drummer during and the he Civil was a drummer. War. Right during he the was. Civil War, he was. Yeah, he was a drum. He was one of the drummers during the Civil War. So, um, I hope you guys like our new platform. I'm loving it. I'm loving I'm it. I'm loving it, and um, I really hope you guys like our new platform. We're going to be doing this. You know, like this from now on, we're not going to have all those crazy, you know, we're going to come back, hold up, we're not going to do any of that anymore, because I think this worked out perfectly, and um, I'm, I'm really excited about this. I want to give Brian a, just a huge congratulations, because... I don't know if you guys know this, but the Genealogy Adventure Show has a YouTube channel. And Brian started it because I was not a part of Genealogy Adventures. We were just cousins and we were working together on all different things. But I joined in with the Genealogy Adventure. So Brian started all of this. but And he started his YouTube channel. And in doing so, yesterday, Brian was named. Um, as one of the top 25 genealogy YouTube channels to follow in 2018. Yay! And thank you guys because there wouldn't be a genealogy channel if there weren't people watching it. So a big thank you to you guys. So yes, it's, it's just awesome. And we're going to, these videos will be placed on um, the YouTube channel. And we're going to work really, really hard to make sure that everybody continues to see them, to watch them. Um, I liked how they worded it because they said that it was inspiring and educational. And that's what we want. You know, we want people to learn from this. We want people to understand and in, and in hopes that it'll just move better and we can, you know, really cut this racism out because I really believe that all of the racism that pops up today has everything to do with the constant, constant segregating of each other, not trying to help each other out. You can't be this true Christian if you're sitting out here screaming, oh, yeah, I helped this person, but I didn't help that one because they were black or I didn't help this one because she was white. I'm going to need that to stop. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of tired of it. It's old. All that stuff, it, 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 it begins to get old. And um, that's just that's my feeling that's my my you know how i feel but and, oh go ahead will you say something else because they and to close things out 
uh, our next show, which will be in two weeks, will be all about how you can use names to either smash through brick walls or um, un unlock really important keys in your genealogy, specifically first names. First names, probably one of the most, I don't want to say overlooked, but taken for granted clues that a lot of us have for unlocking um, those family mysteries. So that's going to be our show in about two, in two weeks. Yes, yes. That's going to be an awesome show. And it's going to help everybody. That's going to help everybody. to Because when you start paying attention to all of the different names that's constantly being played over and over again, it, it you start to it, it opens up a lot and and that's what helps in African American that's one of those little things in African American research that can make a huge impact impact on your tree so okay y'all I'm Donya I'm Brian thank you very and much for joining us we're out thank you so much we enjoyed you guys bye bye.